open up to 1 Peter chapter 3 and read a section of it today. I'm going to do some explaining and then bring Suzanne up. I've got to do some groundwork first. Chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. It says, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if, they, if any of them are disobedient to the word, meaning the word of God, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your dormant must not merely be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of God, so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right. Can anybody imagine why I'm bringing Suzanne up here in a few minutes to talk with this, talk this through, huh? Um, there's a gentleman that I've been that I've been looking at some of his sermons that he created about First Peter. Not a lot of them, but some of them. And it's a, it's a great guy uh, called David Paul Tripp, Presbyterian guy, and he completely skipped this entire section. When he went through it, commentary, he just skipped it. He's just like. I'm no fool, I'm not dealing with that topic. Well, I'm a fool, and I'm dealing with this topic. Um, so that's why I've asked Suzanne, in a few minutes she's going to join me, um, because I didn't want to get tarred and feathered in uh, just looking at this alone. So let me begin by explaining the structure of what Peter has been doing here. I need to lay out the structure first, explain something that's so important to the understanding of this text. And if I don't explain this, we're going to misunderstand the whole thing. And especially our ladies are going to be ticked off when they walk out the door. You're going to find out. I do hope we're all challenged. hope every one of us walks out challenged. But I think we're going to understand it the way Peter intended and the Holy Spirit intended it to be. So let me begin by explaining the structure of what Peter has been doing here since chapter 2. And if you've been here for three weeks, you're getting this, but I'll do a little recap in case you've not been here. In chapter 2, Peter introduced the topic of submitting to authority. And he he started by discussing um, that we are to submit to civil authority. And that was a challenge for a lot of us. Some of you, beforehand I talked to you about it, and you're like, I don't agree with that. And then you listen to the sermon, and you went, oh, unfortunately, God says it that way. And, and, you know, so anyways, it was, it was a hard, it's a kind of hard thing. How do we listen to civil authority? If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it on our podcast. Then the next wave, chap, midway through chapter two, we looked at the second week. He was continuing on with the same to- topic of submission, and he applied it to social relationships. And he's basically saying this, in our social relationships, a lot of times you have the possibility of being mistreated and misused. And he's saying, listen, be like Jesus in those and submit to misuse and abuse. And you're going, what? It's un-American. And it challenged us, though, to say, what's God actually saying? Well, today, he makes it even more personal, this topic of, of submitting to authority. He makes it more personal by writing about how submission be, needs to be the foundation of our most intimate relationship, which is what? Which is marriage. By the way, you want to see something fun today? Tommy Faye, every week on the boards, um, out along, around the corner of the, of the Connection Center, has that display board. We put things up. Look at what she put on there about marriage. It's, it's great and it's funny. So go look at that after church today. It's because it's for the sermon. So today we're going to deal with this topic of marriage. And I'm hoping you're seeing what, what Peter is doing here. He's applying the idea of Christian submission across the entire spectrum of relationships. He's starting with, with um, civil authority, then relational authority, then marriage. How does it work in marriage? And what he's doing is he's showing us that this idea of submission is a bedrock value of the Christian lifestyle. So let's talk about submission as Peter applies it to marriage. And there's one point about it I want to make before Suzanne comes up, 
and it's this. And this is the part that's misunderstood by so many people. And while I'm dealing with it like this, because I want it to be very clear instead of Suzanne and I just dialoguing. And it's this. Peter is talking about mutual submission. Say mutual with me. Mutual submission. Mutual submission. Look at verses 3 and 7 with me. Look at the beginning of verse 3. He says... That's the wrong place. Look of chapter 3, verse 1, rather. Verse 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Now, look at that phrase. In the same way. That's a reference to what he's been saying all the way from the beginning of chapter 2. He's been saying, this is what mutual submission looks like. He applied it to civil government. He applied it to relational re- relations. And now he's applying it to marriage. He says, in the same way, as I've been writing for these whole two chapters... Apply submission to your life. So to women, in the same way, you wives. Now go down to verse 7. You husbands, what's it say? In the same way. He's applying the concept of submission that's been said all this whole deal. There are two applications, and now marriage. He's applying the application of of submission to both husbands and wives. Why is this important? Because we have to remember that Peter is writing about Christian submission and applying it to a, a broad spectrum of relationships. And he's already been explaining that what it's like. But he's saying now, husbands and wives, the way I've been explaining it to you, it applies to both of you. Peter's applying what's been saying about submission to not only wives. You can read this text and go, look, at he's just putting wives down and raising husbands up. That's not what he's doing. He's saying in the same way. It applies to To both of you, the principle of submission here, mutual submission, is universal. Peter, right in his text here, writes about what submission would look like for a wife of that time. It's a different time, 2,000 years ago. And what submission would look like for a husband of that time. And we're not going to get into the specifics of that today. But what we do need to understand is he's not talking about one being elevated and one being put down. He's talking about mutual submission. And this is really important to understand, especially for those who misinterpret Scripture and claim that it puts women down. Scripture does not put women down. In fact, Christianity has done more to elevate women and give women's rights than anything else in the last 2,000 years. Scripture clearly puts men and women on an equal plane. It calls for men in this context who are usually bigger and stronger. Now, some of you are going, well... I'm bigger and stronger than my husband. Okay, that's great, but you're the exception. Generally, a man's bigger. Generally, a man's stronger. And he has the ability to dominate his his spouse. And he's saying, so he's called for men and women, even if a man's generally bigger, to value and respect a woman, his wife, as his equal. And that Christianity, throughout Scripture, celebrates women as spiritually gifted and equally as valuable as any man. Right? So the first thing, that's why you've got to look at the whole deluxe cheeseburger of Scripture. You can't take one section, pull it out of context, and make a doctrine out of it. You've got to put it with the whole Bible. That's what the Bible teaches. So the first thing we need to understand is that Peter is teaching that husbands and wives are to submit to each other. That there is no place for one spouse to be domineering. Hear that, wives and husbands. No place for one spouse to be domineering or overbearing towards the other. That each spouse's goal is to honor and bless and protect the other one. And that, that when I submit to my spouse, I am choosing to put the needs of my spouse ahead of my own. That's what mutual submission is about. And I just think, could we imagine what our marriages would be like, or what our church community would be like, or our world would be like, if everybody in relationships would choose to mutually submit and try to put the needs of other people ahead of their own, it would be glorious. And that's the picture that Peter is painting for us. Now, I'm going fast because we got a bunch of stuff to cover. With that understanding that Peter is talking about what? Say it mutual. Mutual submission in marriage. Let's see what he says about how we can live this out. So that's why I need my best friend up here. Suzanne, come and join us here. And I had to put Suzanne, we're facing out today. You guys just know it's a little detail. Suzanne with her Eller Stanlos can't turn sideways without making her ribs pop out and her neck pop out. And so 
I had to tell her, I'd say, I'd give a disclaimer this morning because she said, I said, you can either look at them, they're better looking, or you can look at me. And I said, you're better off looking at them um, than me. So we're not going to be exactly, you turn your head, don't I turn know. it too far. I won't. <laughs> don't, you be a good girl, okay? Yeah. I'm going to move back, actually, so I can, there. Is that oh, okay? That way I can see you That you can bit. see me a little bit. Yeah. Good or bad, you can see me a little bit. That's good. So, That's a good thing. Um, yes. before we get into the details of what Peter says, and we're going we're gonna to pull out five, we're going to try to do five points kind of quick mm-hmm. from the text. What do you have to add about this idea of mutual submission? Well, first of all, mutual submission is an opportunity for mutual growth and development for each spouse and each person. So the mutual submission is, you know, obviously we see it in Scripture, but automatically, actually when you were talking, I thought... Maybe we just need to start with prayer first because I could, I could understand how some defenses, honestly, like how some defenses go up and say, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what I live with every day because not everybody has two people that walk with Christ and understand this concept. So actually, let's do that. Lead so away. Lord, right now, we just come before you. And Lord, not everybody in here is a spouse, but every one of us are human. And, Lord, we want your heart, and we want to be like you. And, Lord, we want to be mutually submissive to one another. And in this context today, Lord, as husbands and wives, Lord, I pray that right now that any already the conversations that are going on in minds and the emotion that has arisen within hearts because of saying you, you don't know what I'm living with. You don't understand. They're right. We, Mark and I don't, but you do. And, Lord, your heart for us is that we continue to grow in Christ-likeness and that we are encouraged by your word. And so, Lord, would you do that for us today? And would you, we just choose right now to just open-handedly and open-heartedly give you all that we have right now as we sit here and say, Holy Spirit, come and have your way in us and teach us from the word in your name. Amen. So, yeah, so it's, it's an opportunity for growth and development on both ends of the, of the spouse of the marriage and so it's not easy but it's it's uh the invitation for us and it's one that is not promoted in our society you know if you go to work and talk with people who are unsaved they're going to have a completely different response in how to handle a situation than if you go and talk to a uh, a pastor or a sister in christ or a brother in christ who's going to say hey I know this is hard, but this is God's word, and, and let's talk through that. Yeah, and you know, whenever I do premarital counseling, and actually every, whenever I do a wedding sermon, I always talk about the need to, to be there to help the, your spouse grow. That my goal and your goal in marriage has, has to be to help the other person become what God wants them to become. And that's really what the, the foundation of that is mutual submission. It's saying that this marriage is not just about me. This marriage is about us. It's not even just about us. It's about knowing that God called me on this planet to be his instrument to help my spouse become everything that they're supposed to become. And so in, in this idea of mutual submission, it's saying, I, submission says, I put your needs ahead of mine. And so that's the foundation of marriage. So I challenge every new couple when they get married, understand God's in the plan of maturing us because God's plan for each one of us is become, we become more like Jesus. One of the primary, probably the primary avenue he uses in humanity, not because it doesn't apply to everybody because not everybody's married, but the primary avenue he uses for that is marriage. And so if we enter into it saying, it's, I'm not here for me, I'm here, to, I understand God brought me into this marriage so I can be, help you become better. Then I don't always stand up for my rights. Instead, I say, I want, to, I want to submit mine to you so that you can become all you can be. Right. And to understand in that, you are not the Holy Spirit. Yep. So, you, you know, the, the nagging part, you know, like that, that can tend to happen. is like, well, you should do this and you need to do that. That, you know, in marriage, there are times you have hard conversations, right? Like what's going on, this response isn't what I, you know, doesn't seem very Christ-like or what's happening, you know. But the Holy Spirit's the one who 
works in us to bring about the right responses and the right reactions and the, and the right way of living, you know? And so we are not, we don't take on that, that role of Holy Spirit, but we seek the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to say, yeah, you should say something or no, you and don't say something. You us. just pray. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what we've done today to go through this text is we've pulled out five um, principles that Peter says here on how we can in marriage or in any relationship, it applies to all relationships, but in marriage, how we can um, learn to try to submit to one another in mutual submission. And we're going to phrase them this way because they'll be up on the screen. I'm going to phrase them this way, as something over something. We'll have like this word over this. Now, it's not like this, but saying something over. What I mean by that is that we're going to place emphasis on, in, in marriage, in a relationship, something in our relationship over something else in our relationship. So let's look at the first one. The first one, which is going to come from verse 1, I'll read verse 1 in a second, is behavior over words. In other words, behavior is more important. What we do is more important than what we say. Look at verse, in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that even if, you, if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So he's trying to say, your behavior towards your spouse is more important than your words to your spouse. And now understand in this one, it's particularly talking about when one spouse is a believer and the other spouse isn't a believer. He's basically saying this, and he's saying it to the ladies, but it applies to men. Stop nagging them. You say nagging? Nagging? Stop nagging them is what it's saying. It says you're not going to do it with your words. Let your behavior speak louder than your words. So what do you think about that? Well, the thing I think about, and I have it highlighted in, in here, is there has to be a congruency between the behavior and the words. You can't sit and tell your spouse, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then constantly be critical and constantly be demeaning. The, the, it's not congruent. If you really love with the love of Christ in your marriage, there's going to be, a, a, you know, congruency, a, you know, similarity. a similarity, you know, that's going to prove, yes, I love my spouse, and, you know, and, and our actions speak louder than our words, yeah. you know. And so I think that's, that's the main thing about the behavior over words is, your behavior will really show where you are in relationship to your spouse. And if you're loving, loving them and, you know, and all the other things we'll talk about um, in a Christ-like way. And both of them are choices. Right. The behaviors that we act, do we do, yeah. and the words that we say. And as we mature, we should get to the point that we become more in control of our words and more mm -hmm. in control of our behaviors. And so that we think, are my behaviors validating my words? Are my behaviors speaking the same thing? And are they even more importantly that I'm making sure my behavior says what I want it to say? Because words are cheap. Right. And scripture says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. And so... As Christian, you know, we're talking about marriage in a Christian context. So if as a Christian, what's coming out is anything other than the love, joy, peace, you know, gentleness, and it comes kindness, out, right? it comes out long wrong. suffering, and it You've does. To me for I was going to say, yeah, you know, wrong. in the spirit of all transparency, we've, we have had some really... We have good fights. We have good, we're good fighters. We're good fighters, actually. <laughs> you can ask our kids. We get loud once in a while. Um, you know, like... We try not to. Right. People fight, and all of a sudden you look back and you're like, what happened? That was dumb. You know, like, what, that was not... None of that was from God. That was our flesh, and it was, we're tired, and we're stressed, and, you know, those things happen. Tired, stressed, hungry. What is that? Halt. Don't talk when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. There we go. So don't do it. <laughs> because then your words are going to say something, and your yes. behavior is going to say something that you don't want said. So behavior over words. Let's move on. Number yes. two, internal beauty over external beauty. And I'll mm -hmm. read verses three and four again. Your adornment must be merely, it must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and weaving, um, wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. So he's talking about the need for in, in a relationship, internal marriage relationship, internal beauty being more important than our external beauty. How I act and am on the inside more important than how I look on the outside. 
So this was a. Uh, so I have to tell you a story, and I actually I. I messaged the person who did this um, yesterday, and because this brought this to your this mind, this verse literally changed my life as a teenager. Listen to this, teenagers and moms. And I was going to say, I'm looking right now over at Sophie and Sophia and Gracie, and um, I don't see Madalena because she's probably in kids' church, but you know, I see girls all through this sanctuary, and this is what happened when I was about 11 to 13, somewhere in there. I babysat for a little girl, and one day her dad gave me an envelope. It was a family from the church. And it was a family from the church. The guy actually uh, took pictures at our wedding, you know, so it was a family that we knew. And, and so I'm in the middle of five children, and I have an older sister who's blonde hair and blue-eyed and was very pretty. You guys know my sister. Um, and I always felt very inferior to my sister because, you know, she looked very pretty, and she had a lot of friends and was popular, and I wasn't. I was ex- the exact opposite of my sister. Plus, Suzanne was a wallflower. Plus, I had nine toes, so I kind of crop. felt like I was like the, you know, like I felt like inferior because I didn't have like all my parts. Missing <laughs> a toe. Missing <laughs> a toe. So anyway, one day this, this man named Ken gave me an envelope, and it had this verse written on it, and they had pictures cut out from a magazine. And he just, the only thing he wrote was, always remember this. And from that moment on, I don't know, it was, it was obviously the work of the Holy Spirit because it changed how I looked at myself. And I realized, you know what, it's not the external part. It didn't matter if I knew how to wear makeup or do my hair or have good fashion sense because I have zero of that. I have, even now, I'm 50 years old. My daughter-in-law had to teach me how to curl my hair. Okay? Like, <laughs> seriously. Like, in the past five years, she taught okay me how to curl wears. my hair. See, this is, like, that's not, that's not important to me. It's not something I'm naturally inclined to. But the internal beauty of saying, you know what? What I, what I am, who I am in Jesus is way more important than what's out here. And you know, these days, it seems like, and I'm just going to talk to you girls, it seems like the focus is so much on what you wear and the makeup you have, and do you have the latest phone and, and all of that. And doing some TikTok dance. And I'm going to tell know, you what. I'm going to tell you something. You will not get a husband like this if that is your focus. The, the, one of the stories of the way we met, <laughs> and you guys know this, was, so all of my friends were like seven years older than me. Always. The Lord always provided other older people in my life to, to be my friends. And um, I met Mark that way. And just by hanging out kind of, in, kind of in a group. And one day I was praying at the altar. And like one of my favorite things ever at church was praying at the altar at the end of service. And we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night church. You know, and I just... I loved it, and I would. I was praying, and one day he was walking out of the sanctuary. Well, none, of the ki- not, none of the cool kids would do that. Yeah, and I was young. I won't say how young I was because some of your parents are going to be like, what, do not say that, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but I was young, and when Mark was walking out of the sanctuary, the thought came to him, she's going to make a good wife for somebody someday. And he said it, he felt like it was the Holy Spirit that said, she's going to be your wife someday. And that is how I said to my roommate, I'm a pedophile because she's seven years younger than me. And he said, yes, you are. Yeah. So I was young. Okay. I was young and I'm not saying I did everything right. Right. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm totally imperfect and he knows it, but the focus has to be the internal beauty. The focus has to be, how am I growing in Christ likeness? Where can I develop time to spend in the word and with in, in prayer and with other people who are who can mentor me? You know, Leah's mom was one of my friends. You know, Iron Sharpens Iron, the pastor's wife in West Bend right now. She she was one of my mentors. You know, like this is what we need. And so on both ends of husband and wife, what you what the focus needs to be is the development of your internal soul. 
and your in your spiritual interior. If you're spending more time shopping and hunting and fishing and cooking and watching home remodel shows than you are in prayer and in the word, there's a problem. If as a couple you're spending way more time, you know, watching TV or running around than you are talking to each other about the things of God and praying together, then there's a problem. Like there has to be, you know, and nobody's perfect. Again, this is like <laughs> nobody's perfect, and, and every couple has to find out how this works in their relationship. But the internal life, the interior life is the focus. It's not how big of a house do I have, how, how do I dress, what are people going to think of me? Because it really doesn't matter what other people think about you. What matters is, I always tell, we always say this, I'm like, you know, he, he'll make comments to me, and I'm like, you know what, as long as you think so. Because his I'm opinion is the beautiful. only person that matters to me Right, she's the most beautiful person God. in the world to me. She's like, as long as you think so. As long as I you said, think so. You are. You know, and so, yeah, so I know I preached a little there. But, and girls, That's seriously, I, I, hope, I hope you hear that. And guys. And, and because, under, go ahead. No, finish and, and, and understand, men and women, but remember, he's pointing this at women at this context because it would tend to be more of, a, the, of the woman thing. I don't think there's so much so in our culture that beauty is the most important thing. But here's the deal. Don't say anything if you're young, okay? Maybe just look up here. But, well, no, look around. Look around the sanctuary once. It doesn't last forever. You know what? We all get old and ugly. And... Uh, you know, look at me, you Not know, and so ugly. what I'm saying is the reality is if you're going to live, there's nothing worse that I've seen, especially ladies who have been focused their whole lives on their looks and watch them turn into their 60s, 70s and 80s. And they're still trying to do that because it was the only depth they had. They didn't have any depth. All they had was they got props their whole life because people were telling them what they looked like. And it is heartbreaking to watch that as somebody gets older. That doesn't happen if, the, if your focus is on your interior life and your inner beauty. So let your inner beauty shine, is what he's saying. And this is for both men and women. We let our inner beauty shine. So young girls especially, that's way more important because we all get old one day. And it doesn't last forever. Um, what Proverbs says, beauty is fleeting and charm is deceitful. But a woman who loves the Lord shall be praised, is what it says. And so it doesn't last forever. So put your internal beauty above your external beauty, right? Hey, I love Suzanne to look nice. I think she's the most beautiful lady in the world. It's not say don't look nice. It doesn't say don't. It doesn't say don't wear dresses, don't wear jewelry, don't wear makeup. It doesn't say that. It says just make sure your inner beauty is more important than your external beauty. Make sense? We need to move on. I know. Because you were preaching on that one. Don't blame me. No. Um, number three, it comes out of this one, fear over uh, faith over fear. Faith in God over fear. And from the last part, let me read verse 6. It comes from the last half of verse 6. It says, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. It's so important. It's saying to us, if you choose to do what the scriptures are saying is right and value what God is saying over what other people say, there'd be a possibility of, of being fearful of what other people are going to think of you. And it's saying this, be more concerned about what God thinks about you than other. Value your faith in God over fear of what people think. Because if you act the way it says, especially ladies here, modern woman, you're going to act, um, uh, uh, what were the two words he used here? Uh, your heart. Come on, help me out there, sweetie. Uh, submissive to her husband. The Im hidden part, part imperishable, there's, they're saying, you're be oh, chaste and respectful. If you act chaste and respectful towards your spouse and our people, people go, oh, that's not the way you act in this culture. You've got to be domineering and aggressive and da-da-da-da. No, it's saying, listen, have faith in God that allows you to be, um, to overcome a fear of what other people are going to think or a fear of you feeling like you're going to be passed by or overlooked or mistreated, saying, no, put trust in God and do it the right way. 
Don't let the fear of the culture around you set your desires and set your actions. Instead, do what God is asking you to do. Don't be afraid of doing the right thing, and God will bless you for it. Yeah, and I think you said it really well. The only other thing I would add is that the that in marriage we have to have enough relationship with the Lord to believe that he is the one working in your relationship. You know, that that um, temptation to compare ourselves to everybody else's marriage, um, you know, is might be there. But God has, has put you together as a couple for a reason and is working in your relationship and will use your marriage in a different way than he will use our marriage. Because we're totally different people than any of you and have a different calling. So right. everybody God puts together for different reasons to get a different objective for your life. Right. So it never works to compare yourself to somebody else. And when we start, obviously you guys know, when you start the comparison game, then that's when the insecurity comes in. And then Fear. you're like, oh, well, you know, you don't do this like so-and-so's husband. And you don't do this like so-and-so's husband. And we don't have this that this couple has. That's just a tactic of the enemy to bring separation in to the relationship. And so walking with Jesus and having faith in what he's doing in you and being focused on that over focused on all the stuff going on around you is, is key. Yeah. And, and knowing that you, you do not have to be afraid to do what God says is the right thing. Right. So have faith in God over fear of what people say. Right. I mean, in our, in our marriage, people have told us we're literally nuts for making the decisions we've made and the places that we've Many gone. Many of our decisions. And, you can't drag and, your kids to Cambodia. Right. You know, the things that we have done. But that's when you're saying, no, my faith in what God is, how he's working in our relationship and the way that he's calling, the things he's calling you to overrides that fear of pleasing people or having to measure up to their expectation. Yeah. Number mm-hmm. four. We gotta, we, we'll keep moving. we got two more to go yes. through. Um understanding over dominance. The first part of verse 7 says this, you husbands in the same way live your uh, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker. And so live in an understanding way instead of basically saying be understanding towards your spouse instead of domineering over your spouse. And it's easy in in relationships. This could be a husband or a wife if you have the more aggressive personality it is easy to be the dominant one in the relationship and always win. When we first got married, I thought the goal of marriage was winning. And it's the honest truth. It was hard for her because I thought the goal was to win and be right. And um, it took me years to figure out that I was destroying her and destroying us by always wanting to win. But it was just how I was raised and how I saw the world. And I thought it's what you're supposed to do. You know, Gary and I were roommates. We, we had a lot of battles in there, right? And that was about winning. And uh, they were, their thing was like, get, get Mark mad and he'll get it done, right? And, uh, and so that was how I was raised. And so I took that into marriage thinking I could, I, should, I could dominate and just about winning. Well, mutual submission says, no, I want to do what's right for the other person. And so coming to a place of understanding is way more effort and more difficult than dominating. It's easy to dominate when you're the more aggressive person and you have a passive person with you. It's easy. They give up at the time. They're just like, what, what's the point? What's the point of arguing with you? You're always going to shoot them or saying, when we're first married. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, you're going to win. You know? And so it was about just winning. We had to learn, no, mutual submission. Thank the Lord for first Peter saying no. For Peter, no. Um, I need to learn how to submit to my wife, which meant in this case, putting aside my dominance and learning how to understand her. And to think about her, doing things like the book, um, The Five Languages of Love. And then her, she reads the book and she goes, I don't know who I am, you figure it out. I'm like, oh no, it doesn't work that way. You got to tell me. That was in trying to understand my spouse. How does she think? What does she need? That's mutual submission. It's easy just to win. So I, just, I had to give up winning and say, how do I learn to understand my wife? And the, the work of understanding, it, it does come through working in relationship. You know, there's, you can do marriage classes, you can do counseling, there's all different ways. But it's also, a, it's also spiritual in the sense that um, in Proverbs 2, it says this, 
My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And and the Lord is the one who can give you that understanding and that discernment on how how can I minister to my spouse? How can I bless them? How can I challenge them? How can I be a source of um, of empowerment to to him in order to allow him to grow and become all that God's created him to be? And if we if you do that mutually your marriage possibilities are endless, right? And so, again, it all kind of goes back to are we submitted to Christ first and are we seeking his word and allowing that to penetrate our hearts in order to impact this relationship. And if you work to understand each other, and it's work, it takes hard work to understand each other, if you work to understand each other, then when your spouse does something that just doesn't make sense to you, Suddenly you go, oh, that's just the way she is. That's just the way he is. So, you know, Suzanne and I have done work with some, some of the things, uh, a thing that you guys are, some of you are familiar with called the Enneagram. And it's kind of a, pers- a Christian personality profile thing. Well, when we understood that I'm a one and she's a two. Now I look at stuff like, oh my goodness, that's why Suzanne does. We were at an Enneagram conference one time and the lady talked about how a one always has a negative voice in their head. There's always this negative voice telling you all the time what you're doing wrong, pointing out problems all around you all the time, so you always see the problem. Suzanne reached forward. She hugged me from behind, and she said, like, now I get you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you are who you are, is basically what she was kind of saying. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, you know? And, um, but now she'll say to me, because she understands me, when I start spiraling, she'll go, we, she, gave, she gave that voice a name, the Frank. lady said. Frank from Everybody Loves Raymond. She said, we're naming that voice Frank. It's that crotchety old man. And she'll say to me, Mark, what is Frank saying to you right now? And I'll go, oh, I'm listening to this negative loop in my head. And so it's been so helpful for her and me. She understands what's going on in me, why I'm, I have a hundred good things going on, and I'm fixated on the one that I've got to fix. You know, because I'm a one. That's what we do. You know, and, and once she understood that, but now she can say to help me because mutual submission says, how do I help the other person? I understand them to help them. She goes, Mark, what's Frank saying? Yeah. And it's enough for me to go, oh, yeah, I'm listening to this. Why am I listening to this dumb thing? Yeah. So I always, people, I always refer to things that are all the things written in my office. I got all these post things. Those are all designed over the years to help me think right thoughts Yeah. because you, she's helped me understand myself. So I have to do positive thinking because the natural is that I go a certain direction. And, and you'll, we'll never gain understanding of our spouse if we are never with our spouse. Say that again. <laughs> right? If you will never understand your spouse if you are not with your spouse. And it's not being with and your spouse, both just plugged into the TV set or watching no, being I, on I'm your phone. I'm saying, phones. and he was so good at this because I never would have left my children. We just had this conversation this morning. I never would have left my children when they were young. We didn't Meaning live by left family them for four hours. For like, <laughs> well, no, for, for overnight. Like four I, and I, a half hours. <laughs> so he, he pushed it, and he was right. There has to be space created for you as husband and wife. And, yes, it might get complicated. It might require a lot of adjusting. But you will not begin to learn about your spouse and understand where they are if you're not with them. And so I really encourage you on this point to say, you know what, to just do a little evaluation and say, like, where are we? Because some people, you know, we're empty nesters again, and a lot of you are, but some of you are home and you got kids and they're active. And you're in the thick of it. Some of us have a lot of kids and twins and, you know, like there's just a, a lot of things, right? A lot of, and we think, to ourselves, oh, when the kids get out of the house, then we'll be okay. By that time, it's almost too late for most people. Don't You've wait. You've so far apart, it's hard to bring it back yep. together. Don't wait. So, yeah. Yep. So, understanding over dominance. Yep. If you're the dominant person, stop thinking it's your goal just to win. 
because you can win your whole life and lose. You lose your marriage. You lose the, the you might not get divorced, but you lose the love of your marriage that God intends for you. The last one is very closely related. Um, honor over arrogance. The last part of, um, of seven says this. Um, since she is since she is a woman, and so saying she's weaker, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So honor over arrogance. Let's think of what arrogance is. Why we pick this word. Arrogance says, I'm the most important. That's what arrogance, good definition of arrogance. Is I'm the most important. I'm the most important one in the world, so everything revolves around me. So I'm the most important. Honor places value on another person over yourself. So he's saying choose honor to honor somebody, putting them as more important than arrogance, which says I'm the most important. Now, if there's anything that's un-American, this is un-American, which just says it's all about me. No, it's, it's about we when we get married. And in relationships, it's always about we. In this church, friends, it's about we. It's about us. And if we could learn as a church to choose honor, to honor each other as more important, that's what Paul says in Philippians, than arrogance, which says, I am most important. Um, imagine how great our relationships would be. The thing that came to my mind immediately when we were talking about this was a verse out of Mark 7. And it's verse 20. He says, so Jesus went on, he was talking, and he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And I told, when we were talking, I'm like, I never thought about this verse in regard to marriage, the marriage relationship, but we would never do something, we would never steal, we would never murder, we would never commit adultery. You know, as Christians, we say, I don't want to be greedy, you know, but arrogance is right there. In the same list. In the same list. And it can, it can destroy your, your marriage relationship. And so honor is, you know, encouraging your spouse, lifting your spouse up, knowing that we're, we're in this together and I'm for you. No matter what, I am for you. And I had this thought this morning and I wrote it here, wrote it on the side. And so some people might get offended right now, but what do you say about your spouse to other people, and what do you post on social media about your spouse? This is like one of my pet peeves. <laughs> Anybody else with me that this is a pet peeve? Do not get on social media and, and talk down about your spouse and post it out there for or, all to see. Or anybody. Or, be, or anybody. But honor your spouse. Encourage them. Speak, speak highly of them. Like, be their biggest fan. Like, we know, we know their weakness, right? Mark knows my weaknesses better than anybody else, and I know his better than anybody else. And it doesn't mean you're, you're, you are not transparent in the right setting and you don't talk about those weaknesses, but you want to damage your marriage? Start blabbing and, and being um, demeaning to your spouse. There is never, ever a place for that. You know, our conversations about our spouses should be loving and encouraging and edifying. Because we, we all know our weaknesses pretty well, don't we? We don't need other people to come and, and poke that bear in us, right? <laughs> what, we, what we are supposed to be doing is encouraging and edifying. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came in and said, yeah, there's sin. Now go and sin no more. I'm going to walk this journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die for you. And so as, as a spouse, let's do that for our spouses. Let's say, you know what? Yeah, I know your weakness, but I love you more. I love you enough to not make this a thing that everybody else in the world knows. So honor, honor over arrogance. Mm -hmm. I'll make one note, and then we're going to close because we're running a little bit over tonight, today. 
Um, some of you noticed the verse probably as I read this, um, saying, and if you basically honor, um, show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of the Lord, so that your prayers will not be hindered. You say, why did he throw that in there? Here's just the deal. If we're not living as God intends for us to live, how in the world can God validate that by answering our prayers? He can't. So if we're not living as, we're, as he wants us to live, and we're not perfect, but we're moving in the right direction, he can't answer our prayers. He would be doing us a disservice. If I am um, dominant and arrogant and towards my spouse or to other people, and I pray, oh, now God, do this, God's going to be like, I can't validate your requests. I can't validate, make you think that things are going well when you have a lot of growth and change to do. And so that's why he can't answer our prayers. Because it's, it would, he'd be incongruent. He wouldn't make sense. He'd say, oh, I'm going to validate Mark in this thing, um, even though Mark's off the rails. And Mark's going to not think, I'm not off the rails. And so in love, he wouldn't do that. And so that makes sense? Let me close with this. I'm going to close with the words that Peter sums up the entire section on submission. Civil submission, submission to civil government, relational, relation, relational um, submission, and now marriage submission, mutual submission. He ends with, starting in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says up to this. To sum up, all right, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Man, would that change social media? For you were called for this very purpose. People say this all the time. What's God called me for? Here it is. You were called for this purpose. That you would be this way. So that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he's saying, listen, this whole section is on learning how to live right, which he says the underlying value for Christianity is learning how to be people with submissive spirits that love other people well. And we, sub, we don't always, we're not arrogant and going after our own way. So this is the Christian way. Um, and I would say this, I don't see much of this in our society. It's not promoted, but let's do this. Let's be the ones to be different. Don't let fear keeping you from being different, right? That's why I put that in there about, hey, if you choose to live this way, um, choose faith in God over fear because we can be this way. And it's gonna, here's the deal. It will change our lives. It'll change our church. It'll change our marriages and it'll change the world. Because we're going to be different. The world doesn't need more of what it's already got. It needs more of Jesus. And he shines it through us. Amen? So I'm going to close this way and ask you to do something. If you're here with your spouse, even if you have kids in the middle, I want you to get up and move right now so husbands and wives are sitting next to each other. So husbands and wives sit next to each other. Let me move this table and I'll sit next to you. We're going to close in prayer. Take your spouse's hand. And I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm just going to pray for us. You guys are going to pray together right now. And those of you who aren't married, just join us in prayer because it all applies to you too. But if you're married, I want you to hold that spouse's hand. Some of you may be at a fight this morning, and this is hard. And that's why it's important. Lord, thank you that you have put us together. Thank you, Lord, that it was your idea you said it was not good for man to be alone, but you'd make a helpmeet suitable for him. And you made wives. You made husbands. And you said that together they reveal the, your image, the image of God. And Lord, as we're sitting here this morning, some of us holding the hand of the one that, that is our spouse, we would ask for your help, Lord. Could you help us to learn to apply some of these things we've looked at today? To, to, Lord, could you show us where our thinking 
has been formed by the world and not by your word. Lord, could you show us where where we, we think more like the person without you than the person who knows you. And that right now, Lord, in our marriages and in our relationships, you would help us to learn how to honor each other, how to understand each other, how to let our words um, be validated by our behavior and our behaviors um, reveal your love and your goodness and your grace. Father, thank you for the gift of our spouses. And we pray, God, that the church at at Portview, that we would have the greatest marriages that this community has ever seen because we choose to put you first We choose to honor our spouses over ourselves. We choose to be champions for one another. We choose to put the effort into learning our spouses. We choose to to surrender our ability to dominate and instead choose to understand. And Lord, I pray that in the process of the, the days and the months and the years ahead, that our marriages would grow stronger and stronger and stronger, that our kids growing up would see strong marriages that are they, they would never not a child in this in this church would have the fear at night when they go to bed of thinking will my mom and dad be together but that they would know no matter what we are standing together strong in you and so lord we want to be different we want to shine like lights in the darkness so, Lord, take some of whatever you want from what, the, what your word was, what we preach from your word today and explain from your word today and bore it into our souls so it can begin to change us as we continue to be formed in Christ's likeness. Lord, now we pray for every person in this place, married and unmarried. May we walk from this place understanding the world a little differently, seeing it more through your eyes, that we are called to not um, just fight for our rights, but rather to, to understand that you're, you fight for us and we can rest in you and we can bless those who curse us because then they're going to see Jesus in us. So thank you for your word that challenges us, Lord. We need you. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together. end with the great blessing. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy loving other people. If you need prayer, we'll be up here to pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful day in Jesus.